Hey, this is week two of this series entitled Stranger Things 2. Man, and, and tonight, let me just tell you, like, I, I'm not your preacher tonight, but like, I have the mic for the next three minutes, so I'm just going to take a quick moment to preach. So can I preach? Oh, come on. Can I, like, like 30 seconds. Just give me 30 seconds. Can I have 30, 30 seconds to preach? I'm going to take it anyways. I got the microphone. What are you going to do about it? Hey, this series is all about one thing. It's all about one thing. Let's do stuff now that we're going to talk about in 20 years. Someone say amen. Here's the deal. I'm not okay with the mundane. I'm not all right waking up every single day and hitting the snooze. I'm not okay being like a zombie in the walking dead, walking around life, not accomplishing anything, not looking around, not doing anything with my life. And I believe, I truly, truly believe that God has not called you to live the standard teenage life. It's what I believe. I believe God has called you to a unique story. I believe right here and right now, there's something very special happening here at Bridgeview. There's something special happening in our city. And I think that if you were to say, man, I'm not going to coast through life. I'm not going to hit cruise control. I'm not going to turn on the autopilot for the next two, three, four, six, seven years of the rest of my young life. Uh, Instead, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to step into what God has for me. I'm going to do stuff now. Everyone say now that we're gonna talk about in 20 years. I believe it. If you're brand new here at the at Bridge Youth and like you're like, who's this crazy guy in the tie-dye yelling at me right now? You gotta just know this. If this man, we have so many people who come here to Bridge Youth who've never been to church before in their life. And if that's you and you found yourself in this room tonight just visiting or just checking this out, you do not have to be nervous. Be at ease. You have found home. We say here that we're here to build you up, not We love you. We back you. We're here for you, man. I'm so excited for tonight, and here's why. Tonight, we have a legend. We have the man, the myth, the legend. Around around youth ministry in SoCal, we call this man the Godfather. He is the man. He has been in youth ministry for 26 years. You're going to, like, get up on, when he gets up on stage, you'll be like, what, did he start youth pastoring at five? Because he's got Benjamin Button's disease, and he's, he's aging in reverse. This man looks so good, man. This guy, this guy's not only a friend of mine, but he is my mentor. He's the man. You know how I encourage you guys all the time to have someone that you go, and you could just, you could just tell them everything, that you just, you just give them all the junk, everything going on in life. You don't hide any details, and you let them speak into your life. That's what this man is to me. He is so, so phenomenal, man. He is so faithful. He is, he's been all over the world. He's done ministry literally. Man, I was in his office yesterday and I saw a pin board of all the places he's been. He's been all over the world. He's such an amazing man of God. So let me tell you this tonight. If you are a note taker, just get ready to take multiple pages of notes. Write down everything that you can catch because you will not regret it. If you are not a note taker and you didn't come prepared with a notepad or a journal or a diary or whatever, man, just bust out your note app right now and get ready to take some notes because I promise you this, some stuff's about to change. Some things are about to shift. Some people who are not saved are about to get saved. Some people who have been complacent in their faith and haven't had any passion, you's about to have as much passion as Beyonce when she gets on stage. That's what you're about to get right now. So all over this place, would you stand to your feet, put your hands together, welcome to the stage, Gary Garcia! All right, you guys can grab a seat. You guys good tonight? Yeah. 
excited to be here tonight? I am for sure. I am so thankful for your youth pastors. Um, Corey and Amber, I was talking to some of my leaders as we were driving here. The first time I met Corey and Amber, I went to a church um, and not far from here in Lake Elsinore, and they were like, I think, interns and, and uh, assistants then for another youth pastor. And uh, it's the first time I met them, never dreaming then all that God had planned for them and all that they were going to do and how they were going to affect youth ministry, how they were going to affect so many teenagers' lives. Um, I may be just because I've been doing it so long and I'm the oldest, one of the oldest youth pastors, but can I tell you, you have one of the coolest youth pastors ever, ever, ever. I mean, just the fact this guy, he looks cool, his hair's cool, he rides a motorcycle. All of us other youth pastors, we look at Corey and think, man, I want to be Corey. <laughs> Ask Elliot. He's got matching tattoos and all kinds of stuff. But I love Elliot. Elliot was one of my interns for a long time, and he's special to me. But your youth pastor is very cool. This is how I know your youth pastor is cool. I have uh, three kids. My oldest son, he is 23. Three now, I think 23, and my uh, my daughter is 18, and my youngest son is 13. And my youngest son, he's kind of he's in junior high now, and he's getting to that place where he's just wanting to be cooler. And so uh, uh, last summer, he decided, you know, I want to start doing my own hair. You guys remember that moment, guys, when you decide I'm going to do my own hair now because my mom's been doing my hair and growing my hair, or just nothing's been happening to my hair. And now uh, these girls, they look different to me, so I want to look good. And so he decided, you know, I, I want to do my own hair. And so he said, Dad, I need to come and help me do my hair and he, he got out all the product that he wanted to use in this comb and, and I'm thinking alright man I'm, uh, you know, he probably want to do his hair like me and now they're cool and so like alright what do you want to do and he's like I just want to comb my hair he said I really um, I want my hair to look like Pastor Corey's hair I'm like alright so I did my best it didn't look anything like it but I did my best but it is very great to, to be here. I, I love you guys. Pastor Corey and Amber are fantastic people. We love them very much. And they were out at our church last night. And uh, Corey spoke at our youth ministry last night. And crazy enough, there are so many youth pastors that are kind of in this series right now because Stranger Things is about to come up. And uh, we're kind of in a similar series as well. But um, just looking over this series, it's a, it's a great one. How many of you guys are fans of Stranger Things? Have you guys been watching that? Okay. Now, here's the thing. Stranger Things takes place in the 80s, okay? None of you guys were alive in the 80s, okay? Most of you guys. Maybe there's a few older leaders in here with me, but I was actually a teenager in the 80s. Like, I lived the 80s. Like, I saw Star Wars in the movie theater. I saw Goonies in the movie theater for the first time, okay? I graduated high school in 1989, so I think I have a picture. This picture is me in high school. I played water polo. I think I was 15 years old at the time, 15 years old, playing water polo. Didn't have a clue uh, about life, but I actually lived and, and experienced the 1980s, and they were incredible. So watching this show, seeing this show, Stranger Things, is, is awesome to see some of the things that they do. I know that this time around, I think they're all in Ghostbusters costumes. Again, I saw Ghostbusters in the movie theater, okay? Not on DVD. I was there when it came out. Now, some of you guys may have seen me at camp. You may know me from camp, but um, at camp, I just, you know, kind of just do different things. You don't really get the opportunity to know me. I know Amy and I got to share a little bit about our story, but tonight, um, going into this series, um, Pastor Corey sent me the definitions of stranger, and I read through some of them, but one of the definitions is simply this, not previously visited, seen, or encountered. Can I tell you tonight, I want you guys to encounter something, and it's not me, it's Jesus. 
And so here's the thing. I wanted to just kind of let you guys in a little bit. Now, I told you I was raised in the 80s. That's when I was a teenager all the way through 80s, graduated high school in 89. Um, I grew up in the church, and I want to share you guys my story a little bit tonight to kind of get us where we're headed. And so my story is simply this. I, I was raised in church. From the moment I was born, my mom was in church, and so we went to church, and church was just part of my life. We went to kids' ministries all the way through. I was there every Sunday. I was there for every um, moment, every, every event I was at. And so I went through junior high, and, and it was part of the youth group, and just kind of, you know, my parents said, we're going to church, so I went to church. And that's what we did. It was just part of our lives. And so I get into my freshman year of high school. In my freshman year of high school, I decided to play water polo and uh, just kind of met some new people, met some friends, new friends that were on the team. Um, they didn't go to our church and, and didn't really hang, you know, hang out with Christians. And so I kind of started building this friendship with them, building this relationship with them. And as I spent time with them, my life just kind of went a different direction. Again, I'd been raised in church. I, I, I thought I knew God. I thought I knew what it was about. But I met these friends, and they kind of led me down this different path. Now, make no mistake. I say they led me, but I had a choice, and I chose to go down this path. And so as I was going down, um, you know, things were introduced to me, things that I'd never experienced before. And, and, you know, alcohol was one of those things my freshman year that I was kind of introduced to for the very first time. And, and you know, started um, drinking, started making that a regular part of my life, a regular part of my weekend life, especially um, as I went through father, my freshman, sophomore year. Um, drugs kind of became part of that as well. And, and um, you know, nothing crazy, but marijuana, some of those things became part of, uh, of our regular time of going and hanging out and so before I knew it by the time I hit my junior year alcohol and drugs were a regular part of my life I was they, every you know opportunity that we had it didn't matter if it was Friday Saturday if it was Wednesday or Tuesday whatever it was but here's the crazy thing during that entire time I still went to youth group I still had to go to church that was my parents rule so I still went to church and I really thought at the time that I was a Christian I really kind of thought at the time that I knew who God was because I'd grown up in church. So I go through this whole process my junior year and kind of, you know, have two different lives. I have my church life and my church friends, and then I have my school life and my school friends, and I never mix the two. Never mix the two. And so my senior year comes, and I, I'm still kind of doing that same old thing, living that same old life. We get to spring and, and to Easter, and my parents decide we're going to go out of town for um, sp spring break, so we're not going to be here. So um, we don't want you to stay here by yourself, and so we're going to send you with the youth group. They're going on a missions trip to Mexico, and you're going with them. And I'm like, I don't want to go to Mexico. It's spring break. Like, I was waiting for spring break. My friends and us, we had plans. We had things we were going to do, parties we were going to have. I'm like, I do not want to go to some missions trip to Mexico for spring break. And they said, you're going because you can't stay here. And so I remember the day before we left for this missions trip, that kind of tells you where my head and heart was. The day before we left for this missions trip, I went out and got stoned. I went out and drank and had as much fun as I thought I was having in that night before we left. The next morning, we got up, and I went to a, a mission trip to Mexico. I was in no place to go and be on a mission trip. I, I, again, I, I thought I knew God, but I didn't really know God. And so I go on this mission trip. 
And I'd grown up in church. I'd been around. I knew the songs. I knew how to act. I knew how to, the right things to say and what we were supposed to do. So I kind of just faked my way along the whole week and, and played games and hung out with the kids and, and was having fun. I, I liked the people that I was with, but you know, part of me just wanted to go home and be where I was and hang with those friends and, and have that experience. And so we kind of keep going through the process of, of Mexico and working out of this little Mexican church there in Mexicali and, and just doing the, the, the missions part of it. And there's one rule that they tell you when you guys go to Mexico. Do you guys know that rule? Don't drink the water. Now, I always thought, seriously, like everybody says that. Is that a real thing? You know, are you not supposed to drink the water? And so we go to Mexico, and we're out at a restaurant one night, and we're just kind of hanging out, and we order food, and, and the guy brings all these tacos. It was amazing. We were all hungry, and brings out drinks, Pepsis, and everything. And like, um, he's like, do you guys want some ice? And we're like, yes, we want ice. You know, it's so hot. And so he brings out ice, glasses of ice. We're pouring the Pepsi in the ice, and we're like, we're drinking the ice, crunching the ice, not even thinking. Because what's ice made of? Water. Okay, so ate all the ice, went through that process. It begins about 3 o'clock in the morning. Something begins to rumble inside of me. And it begins to twist and rumble, and, and I kind of like, what, what, is, what is that? And it has a name, like they've named this thing, Montezuma's Revenge. And Montezuma was about to have revenge on me. And so this began to happen in my stomach, and I remember getting up and waking up, and, and about 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, I've got to go to the bathroom. Something's going on. And so, you know, the bathrooms at the time, we were at a, a camp with about uh, a thousand other teenagers there, and, and so we were there, and, and I go to the outhouse, and I'm just on there for a while, and I come back out, and the youth pastor's like, hey, we've got to go. We've got to go to this little Mexican church that we're working with. And so I'm going to this. We all get in the van. I remember getting in the van, and just my stomach was like in knots. I felt like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen those movies where, like, there's an alien inside someone, and eventually it just rips out of their stomach. That's what it felt like. I was pretty sure that was going to happen, and Montezuma was going to pop out, you know, and and so we're going along. We get to this Mexican church, and we go in, and, and I'm not the only one sick. There's about five or six of us that ate the ice, and all of us are sick. All of us are having stomach problems and other issues, if you know what I'm saying. And so we were there, and, and it just got worse. And so I just kind of felt bad. I was throwing up. And so finally, the youth pastor at the time comes, and he says, hey, any of you guys that are sick, I'm going to take you over the border. We're going to go to American Hospital, get you guys some help, get you guys some medicine. And he's like, um, who's going to go? And so he kind of went down the line, and he's just like, you know, are you going to go, Danielle? Are you going to go, darling? Are you going to go? And he gets to me, Gary, are you going to go? And I kid you not, the moment he looked at me and said, Gary, are you going to go with us? Do you want to go to the hospital? It was like I was healed in that moment. I was fine. There was no more pain. I didn't feel sick at all. And I was like, no, I think I'm good. I'm, I think I got everything out. I think I'm good. You know, I'll stay and hang out and whatever. And so he loads up the van with all of these students. And, and I can still to this day, all these years later, picture our old white church van pulling away from this Mexican church. And I can still remember seeing the taillights as it breaked and turned right. Because I'll never forget that moment. Because as soon as that Van turned to the right. Montezuma returned. Okay? Now, Montezuma came back. And this was before cell phones and all of that stuff. So I couldn't, like, call the pastor and say, come back. You know, I couldn't do any of those things. They took off. They went to the hospital. They went to the border. And I was so sick. This is how sick I was. I was so sick. You imagine this. About 17 teenage boys using one bathroom. It has a shower and it has a toilet. For about a week's time, 17 teenage boys had been using this one toilet and this one shower. This was not a clean bathroom, okay? It was dirty. It was gross. There was things on the floor we can't aim it's all these things happening and so 
So we're there. I am so sick. I can remember at one point, I woke up because I'd just fallen asleep. I woke up and I was laying in front of the toilet with my face on the tile. And all I could think about is two things. I want my mom was the first thing. And the second thing was, I'm just so happy being on this tile because it's cold and I don't feel good. And so I continued kind of getting sick and being sick. And, and finally the team comes in and they like, um, they carry me. Some of the guys come in and they carry me and they take me into this little Mexican church that we were in. And they, they kind of lay me on some of the seats there. And they just like, we have to go. There's a, an outreach to the park that we have to go to. There's kids waiting for us. So we got to go. We're going to leave you here. Here's a blanket. Don't die. We'll be back. Okay. And they leave me. They leave me in this church. So here I am, 17 years old. I'm in this church. I'm not feeling good. So I kind of get up and I begin to walk around. And I walk around and I walk around the church. I have this blanket around me. And I don't know why I just started walking up towards the front of the church. And they have this little tiny stage. And so I walk up to the stage and I kind of sit down. And the craziest thing began to happen to me. The only way I can describe it is it's like God got a hold of my mind and God got a hold of my thoughts and begin to play a movie of my life in my head. And I begin to, to think about some of the decisions that I had been making, some of the paths that I had gone down. And as I was sitting there just kind of thinking about it all, thinking about this, this whole secret life that I had been living that my parents didn't know about, my youth pastor didn't know about, my church friends didn't know about. This whole life that I've been living, I was sitting there in that church and I, I came to this thought that this is the first time that I'd ever been in a church by myself. And so I sat there and I, I thought about all of those things. And I don't know why, but I began to cry. I began to not just cry, I began to weep. Because I realized that I didn't know God at all. I realized the life that I've been leading, the people that I've been lying to, the separation that I had, not only from my parents and the other people that were on that team, but the separation I was experiencing in that moment from God. So right there, by myself, it wasn't at youth convention, it wasn't at camp, it wasn't because some big speaker, big message, or worship, or anything. Me, by myself, in this tiny little Mexican church, sitting up on this stage, still sick as a dog, I prayed this prayer that I remembered as a kid and asked Jesus into my heart. And it changed everything. It changed everything. Going back to that definition of strange, not previously visited, seen, or encountered. I had never experienced or seen or encountered Jesus like I did in that moment when I truly gave my life to him. Now, I want you guys to hear this, and I want you guys to understand this, because there may be some of you here tonight who are very much like me, that you've been grown up in church, you've been part of church for a long time, and you've kind of been here, and you're here every Sunday, and you're here every, every Wednesday, and you've grown up in the kids' program, and you've been a part of all of these things, just like me, but kind of inside, you're, you're kind of just, you're doing this. You know what you're doing? Some of you, you may be just living off your parents' relationship with Jesus. Because that's what I did for too long. I was living off my parents' relationship with Jesus, and I never really encountered him for myself. But for the first time at 17 years old, I prayed this prayer, I asked Jesus into my life, and I began to experience in him in ways I can, cannot hardly describe. Things began to change in my heart. Things that I thought were so important began to not be as important. 
I just wanted more and more of Jesus. I grabbed hold of my Bible. I read through my Bible. I remember the team came back from that little Mexican outreach, and, and they come in, and, and all, some of my friends were, were walking up. How you feeling? I'm like, you guys will never believe what happened. I, I, I found Jesus. And they're like, man, he's really sick, you guys, you know? And so... And, and, I, and I sat there and I began to tell three of my friends what took place and what happened. And they were just like, this is crazy. I'll tell you how, how crazy that moment was and how crazy I experienced Jesus. In that moment, the youth pastor called that day and he said, you know what? Some of these kids are really sick. We're not going to come back. Um, we were supposed to have a big service that night. The youth pastor was supposed to preach and everything. And he said, um, we're not going to make it back. He told his wife, just cancel service and you guys go back to the camp and, and just don't worry about it tonight. And so the youth pastor's wife came up to us and she's like, you know what, you guys, um, Randy called and we're going to cancel service tonight because some of the kids are really sick, so we're not going to do it and we're going to cancel service. Well, me being, you know, a Christian for like 10 minutes at that point says, we can't cancel service. We can't do it. We have to do this. We came all this way. And she's like, who's going to preach? And I'm like, I'll preach. And so... 15 minutes now into my relationship with Jesus, I preached my first sermon. It lasted like five minutes, okay? But I was encountering Jesus in a way that I never experienced before. One of the scariest parts for me was going back home. Because I knew when I went back home, that's when it was going to be hard. It was easy where I was at because I was living in the moment. I was hyped about it. I was emotionally just, um, just feeling Jesus in a real way. But I knew when I went back home, the moment I got back home, the phone calls were going to start, the invitations were going to start, my friends who I hung out with at school were going to be there waiting. And the life that I had to walk away from was there waiting for me. So we went back home. And it was one of the hardest, the, the, your senior year is supposed to be the great year, the awesome year, the fun year, the year that you experienced, your last year with all your friends that you're going to see. But my senior year was horrible. And, and, and mostly because of this, because I came to the realization that the only way that I could stay in a walk with Jesus, the only way that, that I could truly stay faithful and not keep backsliding was to let go of those friendships. And that's exactly what I had to do. I had to let go of those friendships. But here's the awesome thing about Jesus, and I keep talking to you guys about encountering him in new ways, in ways you've never experienced before. There was a, a youth leader, and he was a few years older than me at the time. His name was Rod. And Rod kind of knew a little bit of my story. He heard more of my story as I shared it. He kind of came alongside of me. And Rod made it his place to just pour into me and hang out with me and spend time with me. And, you know, those moments when I was feeling weak, he always said, call me, we'll go hang out. There was a couple times, even though I gave my life to Christ, where I did backslide, where I did go backwards. And I remember calling Rod. And what did he do? He wasn't there just going, you're so dumb, how could you do that? Don't make that mistake. He said, no problem, let's get you up and let's keep going. And here's the thing about Rod. You know, I gave my life to Jesus, but I can say this. One of the main reasons that I was able to continue and stay in relationship with Jesus was because of Rod. Because of during those moments, he carried me, he pushed me, he helped me through. And here's the thing, I haven't seen Rod in years. Eventually he got married and, and moved away and has, has kids. And I haven't seen him probably um, since I was 21 years old, I think is the last time that I saw Rod. And he will never know, unless I run into him again or until I see him in heaven, the impact that he had on my life. 
You see, because of the decisions that Rod made to come alongside me and hang out with me, the choices that he made to do those things, he had no idea. He knew the impact that would have on me, but he had no idea the impact that would have on hundreds of teenagers through the last 26 years. He didn't know, I didn't know then the road I was going to go or what I was going to become or who I was going to be. But because Rod came alongside of me, he had impact on people he has never met. He had impact on hundreds of teenagers' lives that I've had the opportunity to lead to Jesus. And he's never known that, but he had impact. Why? Because he was faithful to Jesus. He came alongside someone and had an impact on their life. If you guys have your Bibles tonight, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 2. This is one of my favorite stories, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 is a story. If we have that, I don't know if we have that or not. It says this. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 5 says, A few days later when Jesus again entered uh, Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now let me kind of paint this picture for you guys, this story for you guys. Jesus was preaching, and man, when Jesus was preaching, people would just come along. And so Jesus was preaching this message, and he was just in this house preaching this message. And so many people wanted to hear what Jesus was saying. They crowded into this house. They were standing at the doors. They were coming out the windows. There was people everywhere. And you have these four young friends, these four teenage guys that hear about Jesus. And they hear about the miracles that he's doing and the things that he's doing. And they have this fifth friend. And we don't know what happened in his life. It was an accident if he was born that way. But they have this fifth friend who's paralyzed, who can't do anything but just lay on this mat. So he lays on this mat, and, and they probably go and they visit him and try to encourage him. And, you know, you know and he, he, I can't imagine having his life and just laying there on that mat, not being able to do anything. But these four friends loved him, cared about him, and they hear Jesus is in town. Jesus is in town, and he's doing all of these miracles. We've got to get our friend to Jesus. And so they, they literally, they don't even, I don't know if they ask his permission or not. They're just like, we are going to get our friend to Jesus. And so they go into his house, they grab four corners of his mat, and they pick him up, and they take him to Jesus. And I, I can only imagine what this must have looked like, four teenage guys carrying their fifth friend on a mat towards Jesus. And they get to this house where Jesus is. So they get their friend there, and they're there, and they look at the house, and they see people everywhere. People everywhere. The doorway's crowded. There's people sitting in the windows. They are sitting there going, oh, we, we, we brought our friend to Jesus, though. What do we do? What do we do? We've got to do something. Can I tell you this? In every group of friends, especially guy friends, in every group of friends, there is one friend who's the crazy one. There is one friend who's just like, you know what? Let's do this. And everyone will be like, no. But then they do it anyway. And you don't even know why. I guarantee you, Corey was this guy. Corey was that guy. I know. Here's the thing. Just recently, Corey and Amber and a bunch of us, Elliot, we went on a cruise and we were in Catalina. And so we were in Catalina. And this is how I know Corey was the crazy one. So we go on this cruise and we're there and we're going to Catalina for the day and we rent a golf car and we're doing all that stuff. And 
he keeps going, and you know, I want to go snorkeling, I want to go snorkeling, and, like, and I keep thinking, the water is so cold, you don't want to go snorkeling, let's, let's, let's not go snorkeling, because it's freezing. Now, and I really truly believe this, the older you get right now, you guys could be in junior high, and you're going to go to the ocean, it's going to be like 60 degrees, and you'd be like, woohoo, jump in, and you're like, no problem, the water's so great. The older you get, the colder water gets, okay? And I'm a lot older than Corey, and so Corey's wanting to go snorkeling, I'm like, I don't want to go snorkeling, I'm looking at my wife going, I don't want to go snorkeling, this water's cold, I'm going to hang with you, we'll go shopping, we'll get some ice cream, it'll be great, and I'm like, you guys go, you guys go and, and go snorkeling, it'll be great, and Corey's just like begging, we got to go snorkeling, so Corey pulls out this line, Gary, my dad left me, and now you're leaving me, and not going snorkeling with me, you got to go snorkeling with me, and I'm like, I'm like, I look at Amy, I, I guess I'm going snorkeling. And so I go snorkeling. So Corey's that guy. Corey's that crazy one. So we get into this water. This water's freezing, okay? It's so cold. But I tell Corey this. I say, Corey, before we go snorkeling, you guys need to get some frozen peas. Because there's these fish there, man. If you, if you throw out the frozen peas, they go crazy for the frozen peas. And so we get to the place where we're snorkeling. It's called Lover's Cove. That's weird. And so... We go to this place, and we, we all get our gear on, our, our snorkels and our masks and the fins, and we're all trying to get in the water, and as soon as you get in, it is so cold, you guys, and so we're trying to get in, and, and they, they get in, and, and they're kind of swimming around, and so I get in, and we're kind of swimming around, and it was fun for a little while, but I, I told them, man, if you, if you get these, these frozen peas and you throw them, the fish just go crazy over it, and they'll come everywhere, and sure enough, you know, like we were putting it out, and there's fish everywhere, and I have to tell you this part of the story, it really has nothing to do with my message, but it's just so fun um, to make fun of Elliot, and so Elliot was there with us, and Elliot's out there snorkeling, so we're all kind of watching. Elliot's just kind of just, you know, snorkeling and blowing his little air out and stuff, and so I grab a handful of peas, and I throw them where Elliot is. Not just one, but like two or three handfuls of peas, and throw them to where Elliot was. And at first, they just kind of floated there, but then you kind of saw just... And then out of Elliot's snorkel, all you hear is... And you see things happening around him in the water and he's almost has a panic attack because there's so many fish going it was awesome but Corey is that guy Corey is that crazy guy and so you have these four friends and they bring their friend the story goes in mark they bring their friend to jesus and there's no way to get in and so that one friend that Corey friend that guy just there's one of the four says i have an idea i have an idea and so we look back at the story, and what does it say, starting in verse, um, verse uh, 4, it says, Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So that guy, that fourth friend, the crazy friend, goes, I have an idea. Let's take him onto the roof. We'll, 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 we'll knock a hole in the roof and we'll lower him down in front of Jesus. And the other friends were like, what are you talking about? This is not even our house. You want us to climb on someone's roof, break their roof, put a hole in it, and drop you know, our friend down in the middle of everything? And he's like, yes, that's exactly it. That's what we're going to do. And the other guys that had doubt, I don't know why guys like me follow guys like Corey, but we do, and we're like, 
okay, okay, it's a plan. And so this is what these guys do. They get their friend and they climb up on this roof and they knock a hole in this roof. And I can only imagine what it would have been like to be Jesus. Here's Jesus having this incredible message. And, and it would be like, like right now, if we were here and we were having this time and this message, and all of a sudden we just hear some noise, like someone's walking on the roof. I'm like, okay, whatever, people are on the roof. And all of a sudden, you know, almost like a hammer and, and stuff starts falling down and, and there's a big hole in the roof all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, this dude on a mat is being lowered down. You know, you, you got to imagine, they were probably like, what do we do? We can't all like tie it around his shoulders and we'll just kind of drop him down in there. And here's this guy just being lowered, you know, in front of Jesus. And I, I don't even know what Jesus was saying at the time. But these friends, we did everything they could. They did all that they could to get their friend to Jesus. Can you guys hear that tonight? These guys did all that they could to get their friend to Jesus. And the story continues in verse 5, and I love this part of the story. This is my favorite verse of the story. Listen to this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Sons, your sins are forgiven. I love that part. When Jesus saw their faith, he saw their faith. I have three questions I want you guys to, to think about tonight. Three questions. The first question is this. Do you have friends right now who need to know Jesus? Do you have friends right now that you go to school with that need to know Jesus? Friends that you play sports with, friends that you maybe you work with them, maybe their lockers next to you, maybe you sit with them in just one class and you guys just really connect for whatever reason. Do you have friends in your life right now that need to know Jesus? And if you're taking notes, I even challenge you to do this. Start writing their names down. Start writing their names down. Who are the friends that you have in your life that need to know Jesus? My second question is this. How far are you willing to go to bring people to Jesus? How far are you willing to go to bring people to Jesus? These four friends were ready to get crazy. They went all the way. They, they vandalized someone's house to bring their friend to Jesus. You know, I don't, I, I, I've done a little bit of study on, on some of the things, and a, a lot of scholars believe that houses at that time and roofs, they were made out of two things to, to kind of, you know, there was obviously like straw material on top of the roof, but the, the kind of the clay that they built it with, it was clay mixed with manure. So it would harden up. And so when we really stop and think about it for these, these four friends, they were willing to dig through poop to reach their friend, to bring their friend to Jesus. And so I say to you guys again, not to gross you out, but how far are you willing to go to bring your friend to Jesus? The thing is, when we bring people to Jesus, things begin to happen. Listen to this. This happened, and I, I forgot to give you guys this verse, but if you continue down in Mark, continue down further in the story, listen to what is said. Jesus says this to the man. He says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out of full view of, of everyone to see. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. I want to reach people for Jesus. But you know who I want to reach? I want to reach those students that no one else can. I want to reach that student who everyone else sees and goes, man, I can't believe that. Who's that student at your school that people would say they would never be a Christian? 
they would never follow Christ. You have no idea what they've done or what they do or what they deal. They would never find, find Jesus. Can I tell you this? I know this about Jesus. He's amazing. He's a miracle worker. And if he can reach me, he can reach anybody. So what if you go to your school and you target that person? If his name is Jeff and you say, you know, Jeff would never, ever come to know Jesus, but for whatever reason, that's who Jesus put on your heart tonight. Can you imagine the, the impact that would happen? If people saw Jeff, this guy who just as far away from Christ as possible, if, if you led him to Christ, the impact that that would have, we go back to that verse and what does it say? We have never seen anything like this. What if students begin to say that about the things that you're doing on your campus? We have never seen anything like this. This is strange. This is crazy. This is unexplainable that that person would come to know Jesus and the impact that that would have. So again, that second question, how far are you willing to go to bring people to Jesus? These four friends were willing to do whatever it took to bring their friend to experience Jesus. The last question is this. Are you living out the kind of faith that Jesus can see? Are you living out the kind of faith that Jesus can see? Jesus literally was able to see these four guys. He was able to see their faith. How? Because they were willing to bring their friend and do whatever it took, carry him, carry him all the way to Jesus. And not only do that, it was not easy to get him there. They did everything they could to get their friend to Jesus. So much so, Jesus could literally see by their actions. He could see their faith. Can Jesus see your faith by your actions? Can he see your faith by what you're doing to reach people in your school, in your junior high, in your high school? Can he see your faith? I have one more story I want to tell you guys. This story is about a, a, a USC student named Ben Malcolmson. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Ben Malcolmson. Ben Malcolmson was a, a journalism student at USC. And his senior year... He decided, you know what, I, I want to do a story on what it takes to make the football team. So he talked to, uh, Pete Carroll was the coach at that time, and he talked to Pete Carroll, and he said, can I do a story on the team and just go through everything, go through all the tryouts, go through all the experiences, um, all the camps and everything, just to, to kind of write a story about what it takes to be on the football team. And so he says, sure, Ben, no problem, you can do that. So Ben does that. Ben goes through everything, so he, he goes through all the tryouts, all the practices, he gets through everything, and he's like, man, I'm so excited, I'm going to write this story. And so, at the end of all the tryouts, the coaches pull him in, and they say, Ben, we know um, that you just kind of came in to, to, to write this story, but we don't know how to tell you this, but you've made the team. You've made the team. We want you to be on the team this year. And so Ben just is so excited. He's like, all right, man. I, he's a, he, ben is a follower of Christ. He loves Jesus. And so in his mind, he's thinking, I don't know what God's doing, but God's doing something big here. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to be on the team. And so he joins the team. He's on the USC football team, which was the best college team in, in the country at that time. He's on the team. Not too long before they started the season, he hurts his shoulder. And so for most of the season, he doesn't even get to play, but he's still on the team. He's still on the team. And so they make it all the way to the, the, the Rose Bowl. And throughout that year, he knew, even though he was hurt, he knew God has a plan for me here. God wants to do something here. And so the first idea that he had, he said, you know what, I'm going to start a team Bible study. 
And so he starts this team Bible study. He's going, I'm going I'm to do whatever I can to bring my team to Jesus. And so he starts this, this team Bible study, and he, he has the, the first meeting, and he gets everything ready, everything set up. And so he's sitting in, in, in the room waiting. No one comes. No one comes. So he's feeling discouraged. He's feeling like, oh, man, I know God wants to do something here, but that's not it. He's just kind of bummed out. And so the, the year continues, and they get closer to, to the Christmas break. And so he has this other plan. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a Bible, and I'm going to give every single teammate of mine a Bible. And so he comes up with this plan, and he gets all of these Bibles, and he gets this red piece of paper, and he prints this message on it. And, and the, the message um, simply says, uh, this is a Christmas gift for you. The greatest gift you'll ever receive is Jesus Christ. And so he puts these red notes in the Bible, and he puts one in, in, in every team member's locker. He waits till everybody leaves, and he goes around, and he puts one of these Bibles in every person's locker. And so he, go home, he goes home for, for the, the little bit of a Christmas break, and he comes back a couple days later, and he's just pumped. He's like, he'd been praying that, that those Bibles would just have impact on people's lives, and this whole team would come to know Jesus. And he's so excited, so he gets back to the USC locker room, and when he opens the door, what he finds just rocks him. All over the floor are the Bibles that he got. Some of them have pages torn out. He walks in deeper, he walks by a trash can, and he literally sees a trash can half full of the Bibles that he brought in. And he just sits down, and he's like, God, I, I, I knew you had a plan here. What is happening? He's so discouraged, and he's so bummed. He's like, I thought I made this team for a reason. I thought there was a bigger purpose here. It didn't work. He's discouraged, he's bummed, he, he heads out. A day later, they play in the, the Rose Bowl. They end up winning. It was incredible. He was all happy and, and just kind of went from there. The day after the Rose Bowl, he gets a phone call. It's another one of his teammates. And he says to Ben, he says, hey, did you hear about Mario? He's like, no. What, what happened? He's like, Mario. Mario was the team kicker. Mario was uh, uh, one of the most beloved players on that team. Everybody liked him. Everybody loved him. Everyone got along with him. He was just one of those people that's just a great guy that people wanted to be around. And so Ben gets this call. Did you hear about what happened to Mario? He said, no, what happened? He said, Mario was out hiking. He fell off a cliff and he died. Ben just sat down broken, weeping. A few days later, he went to, to Mario's funeral. And he goes to this funeral and, and he takes his seat and some of the players are, are, are walking down the aisle with the casket. And as they pass Ben, he looks over. And on top of Mario's casket, he sees one of his Bibles with the red paper still in it. And they take it all away. And in that moment, he saw that and he's like, man, I feel like God is just trying to give me peace in this moment and that's encouraging that that's there and I don't know if they saved that from the locker room or what happened but he just felt such a peace in that moment of grief and sadness of seeing that Bible that he had left sitting there on Mario's casket. So Ben finishes school. He stays on at USC for a couple years and, and, and works for, for Coach Carroll. Eventually Pete Carroll gets called to, to, to Seattle to work for the Seahawks and he had built in a relationship with Coach Carroll at that point and so he actually went to, to Seattle to be Coach um, Pete Carroll's assistant. 
And so this was four years after Mario had passed. And so he goes and, and, and he's kind of doing that. And he moves to Seattle, Newtown, didn't really know anybody. And one of the, the people he was working with said, hey, we're having this Young Life meeting and, and just kind of have a bunch of coaches there and stuff. You should come along. So he didn't know anybody, so he went along to this meeting, and he's there, and he's kind of hanging out. And all of a sudden, in the back of the room comes this guy that he knows named Taylor Oregard. And Taylor Oregard, Taylor was the team punter. He had played with, with Ben. He had played with Mario. In fact, Taylor, because he was a punter and Mario was a kicker, Taylor was Mario's best friend. And so Ben sees Taylor there, and he's like, what the heck is this guy doing here? Because that guy, he knew Taylor a bit from, from playing football, and he knew when they were on the team together, Taylor was anything but a follower of Christ. What would he be doing at this Young Life meeting? He, he didn't serve God during that time. He was kind of far from God during that time. And so finally, he kind of walks up to Taylor, and they kind of embrace. And man, they hadn't seen each other for four years. And he's like, man, what are you doing? How, how are you here? And Taylor says, it's a crazy story. He says, do you remember the last time we saw each other four years ago? And he's like, yeah, I was at Mario's funeral. And I said, yeah. He said, the craziest thing, he said, you know, right after Christmas break, I, I walked into the, 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 the locker room, and there were these Bibles everywhere at every locker. And he said, you know, I'd grown up in church, and, and it wasn't really just work, serving God in, in, in college. And I saw that Bible there, and I felt like someone was just trying to, you know, convict me or, or challenge me. He said, I got so upset, so angry. I took the Bible, and I literally threw it in the trash can. So Ben's listening to this story. He said, I was so mad. And he said, I began to walk out of the locker room to go to practice that day. When all of a sudden, I, I heard someone yell out from the locker room, what is this? And he said, I stopped and I walked back in. I said, Mario? And he's like, yeah. He's like, what is this? And Taylor looks at him and he's like, what are you, an idiot? It's a Bible. He's like, a Bible? What do you do with it? He's like, you seriously don't know what to do with the Bible? He's like, no, I've never, I've never even seen one or picked one up. And so Taylor, who wasn't even really walking with God at the time, sits down next to Mario. And for the next 45 minutes, they walk through the Bible. They walk through the book of John. And he kind of explains what the Bible is and what it's about and who Jesus is. So a few days go on, and, and Mario is just is all over his Bible. He's reading it every day. He's digging into it. And it comes time for the Rose Bowl, and it's the, the day of the Rose Bowl, and he goes up to Taylor, and he comes up to Taylor, and he says this. He says, he says this is real. God is real. Jesus is real. How do, you, how do you do this? What do I do next? And again, Taylor, who wasn't even walking with God, sits there and goes, well, I, I, you pray. You pray, and you ask Jesus in your heart. And so again, Taylor, who wasn't even really walking with a God, leads Mario in the sinner's prayer. And right there, before the Rose Bowl, Mario gives his life to Jesus. The very next day, he dies and goes to heaven. Ben is listening to this story, blown away. Because all of that time, he thought, man, I, I, God, I thought God had a plan for me, and there was no plan, and, and I, I tried to do a Bible study, and no one came, and I tried to give my team member Bibles, and, and they threw them away. They tore them up, never realizing in that moment the impact that he was going to have, never realized, realizing in that moment that the day before Mario died, Ben's decision helped Mario find Jesus. Habakkuk 1.5 says this, listen to this, it says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. 
Ben had no idea at the impact that he was going to have. He had no idea the impact he was going to have on Mario's life. He had no idea the impact that he was going to have on Taylor's life because after what happened to Mario and him passing away, Taylor's life totally turned around. He went back to Jesus. He got involved in Jesus. He got involved in young life. Young people found Jesus because of Taylor. Why? Because Ben had a heart for his friends. Ben wanted to do something for Jesus. And just like all those years before, I told you when I first really encountered Jesus, someone named Rod came alongside of me and walked me through it, having no idea the impact that he was going to have. Can I tell you this? There are people right now at your high school and junior high that don't know Jesus who are going to know Jesus by the end of this school year because of you. And you have no idea the impact that's going to have. You may not know until you get to heaven the impact that's going to have because you gave that invite, because you took the time to pray and invite them to bridge youth. The lives that they're going to change because you took the time to bring your friend to Jesus. Would you guys stand with me tonight? I want to do this. And I know most of the times during this time, pastors would say, you know what, everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. But I don't want to do that. Because I have to tell you guys this tonight. And maybe there's one of you, maybe there's two of you, maybe there's more, I don't know. But there's something about giving your life to Jesus. And for me, that night in that little Mexican church, I could have just stayed in that seat, stayed in that pew, stayed laying down there and just maybe had the same experience. But there was something about walking towards the front and walking towards that stage and being there that for some reason, just actually physically moving towards Jesus did something in my life. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, can I tell you in a moment, I'm going to ask you to move towards Jesus. I don't know most of you. I, I, I know a few of you from camp, but I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if there's some of you here for the very first time experiencing this for the first time. I don't know if there's some of you here like me that grew up in church that are kind of living off your, 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 your parents' relationship with Jesus, and you need to encounter Jesus on your own tonight. You need to begin to build your own relationship with Jesus. So I want to do this, and I'm, I'm asking you guys not to bow your heads and close your eyes because this is not something to be ashamed of. This is not something to hide. And if you're here tonight, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're here tonight, and two things, if you want to give Jesus, if you want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, if that's you, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up and come towards Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Jesus is here. This is Jesus' house. He's been here. He's always here. And he's ready to encounter you tonight and you to encounter him tonight. But if you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you up to come over here on this side of the stage, okay? I want you to come up and come over here on this side of the stage. Now, if you're here tonight and you've grown up in this and maybe you've given your life to Jesus before, but you just, for whatever reason, you're not where you want to be in your walk with, with, with Jesus tonight, and you know that you need to turn that around. For me at 17, that's what was happening. I realized I can't do this. I can't do this without him. I need to turn my life around. I need to give my life back to Jesus. And if there's someone here tonight that needs to give your life back to Jesus, you need to rededicate your life to Jesus tonight. If that's you, I'm also going to invite you forward to come to this side of the stage. I want to pray real quick. And I'm going to invite you up. So pray with me. Lord, I pray right now for every one of these students. You know their heart. You know their mind. You know their story. You know what they're going through. 
You know the experiences they're having. Lord, I pray for any student that's here tonight that's just feeling something going on inside of them. Lord, I pray that they don't let fear, they don't let the people sitting next to them, they don't let anything keep them from encountering you tonight, Jesus. So I pray that you would just touch them, you give them boldness right now. And you know, I pray, amen. If that's you tonight, either giving your life to Jesus for the very first time or you're rededicating your life to Jesus, I want to challenge you to get out of your seat, move out of the seat, get into the aisle, and walk up here. Come up here to this front of the stage, right in front of me, if that's you. Don't be afraid. Don't wait to see what your friends are going to do. If you feel Jesus stirring something inside of you tonight and you want to encounter him, move towards Jesus tonight. wait if there's anybody else I don't want you to miss this some of you heard this story before but when I was when I was 15 I had the opportunity now almost at a camp at Camp Pinecrest I almost gave my life to Christ but I let fear and doubt get in the way and I missed the response and so for two more years I sat through the sin that I was sitting through so if there's anybody else I want to give you time I want to wait for you if there's anyone else that wants to come up don't wait All right, I want to do this. I want to pray this prayer with you guys. And all I'm going to ask you to do is to repeat after me. And we're going to pray this prayer together. And it's just a simple prayer. And through this prayer, you are literally inviting Jesus into your life, inviting him into your heart. You're inviting to, to encounter him tonight in a real way. And so it doesn't matter if you've prayed this prayer before, but stuff's been going on. You know what? We've all been there. Times get tough sometimes and we lose our way. But tonight you're finding your way back to him. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and pray this prayer with me and just repeat after me. And if you're here tonight and you're walking in a strong relationship with Jesus, would you pray this prayer with us to support them? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me of my mistakes. Please come into my heart. Please help me to encounter you tonight. Surround me with people who are going to help me walk with you pray that I would grow in my faith and I'd grow in my relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's that simple. It's that simple, you guys. Now, I want you to stay up here. I want you to stay up here because I want to do this. Now, I've left this side empty for a reason. And, and some of you, now that you are in a new place with Jesus, you're like me. You're just seconds old as a, as a follower of Jesus. But you may want to jump to this side of the stage in a moment because God may be stirring something in you. He may be stirring a passion in you. He may be saying to you, I want you to be like those four friends and get your friends to me, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. But if you're here tonight and, and you're saying, you know what, I relate to those four guys and I have friends that don't know Jesus. I have friends that need to know Jesus. And I want to do whatever it takes to get my friends to Jesus because I know that he's got a plan for them and he's going to do things in their lives that I can't even see from now. I love when Corey says, we want things to happen now that are going to impact things that 20 years from now. And so if you're here tonight and you'd be willing to say, I want to stand in the gap for one of my friends. I want to come forward tonight because I want prayer that, that Jesus does something big in my life, in my heart. I want him to give me opportunities to reach my friends. I want him to give me moments. I want him to give me the words. I want him to open my mouth. I want him to give me the boldness to reach my friends, to help them find Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you know, I want to be used by Jesus to reach my friends this year, this time, I want to encounter him. I want to share him. If you're here tonight and you would say, 
say, I want to reach my friends for Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come up and come to this side of the stage. Just make your way up, come to this side of the stage. If you're here and you need to move over, we'll all move over this way. That's fine. I'll wait as some of you guys make your way up. I want you to remember this because some of you, some of you are here tonight because one of your friends believed it was they're willing to do whatever it took to bring you to Jesus. They're willing to do whatever it took to bring you to Jesus. Some of you are here tonight because someone invited you, someone brought you. Now, Jesus, the same way he worked through them, he wants to work through you. So I want to pray for you guys. Leaders, if you're here, reach your hands out. Put your hand on a student. Let's pray over them. Let's just, God, I I come to you right now, Lord. Lord, every single one of these students comes up here representing multiple friends, Lord. People they know that need to know you, Jesus. So I pray right now that you would give them opportunity. Lord, I pray that you'd give them a boldness, Lord, the same way those four guys were willing to do whatever it took to reach their friends. I pray that these young people would be willing to do whatever it takes to reach their friends and their families and their younger siblings and their older siblings, Lord Jesus, their parents. I pray they'd be willing to do whatever it takes to reach those people for Jesus, to reach those people for you, to bring those people to you, Lord. So I pray for opportunity. I pray for moments. Starting tomorrow, when they go to their school, Lord, I pray that they would see that campus, they would see the people on that campus through your eyes, Jesus. Lord, move in these young people. Use these young people. Lord, I pray the next time I come to Bridge Youth, Lord, it would be double the size because it would be full of a bunch of hungry teenagers that want to bring their friends to Jesus. So, Lord, do all that you can do in the life of these young people. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.